But fundamentally, the core of the business, at least the way we see it, is that we need to be great operators of these brands as a start. Like, in fact, the best the operators of these brands. And for us here, it's about looking into ways to be differentiated around how to run those brands better than anyone else and definitely better than the last order. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leong, and Amazon's third-party global merchandising value, or GMV, is an approximately $295 billion industry. And major e-commerce aggregators are dedicating their time to capture this market segment. Today, I have an old friend, JJ Chai, CEO and co-founder of Rainforest, to talk about their work to be the ecosystem for direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands of tomorrow. JJ, welcome to the show. Great to be back. Thanks for having me, Bennett. It has been a long time since we last spoke. At that point in time, I think it was episode 32, you were in Airbnb and then you moved to Carousel and X to 10X Southeast Asia for a while. My first question, how was the experience in helping founders of a rising startup to scale a company? I think I would say it's been both uh, very much a learning journey for me as much as it was of uh, contributing to some of the success uh, stories along the way. I think one thing of coming out of Airbnb, uh, realizing the you know, slightly different scenarios for Southeast Asian founders and uh, what they have to sort of work through, very different kinds of markets, a lot more fragmented, a very different kind of uh, ecosystem in terms of funding and venture capital and so on. Great to see that having progressed a lot in the past years. But coming between the South Airbnb and Carousel experience in particular was very much telling around the differences and around having a US-based startup and having a whole market like the US versus a, a Carousel having a whole market of Singapore and fundraising in this part of the world. Mm. And I think Carousel have recently became a startup unicorn and I think they're still growing with the three founders growing strong. Recently, you've been profiled in the Kent as one of the founders who are active, proliferate angel investors by night in Southeast Asia. I'm very curious to know, how do you select companies to invest in and what are the traits or red flags you found in teams before you decide to make that investment? Yeah, very much privileged and lucky to be in that position now to be able to sort of do this. In the past, used to be uh, on the back of investing my time. So instead of being able to angel invest in the carousel, I have to join them and spend four years to uh, earn uh, equity. So uh, great to have that flexibility to now sort of angel invest. Uh, it's also become a lot more accepted and uh, founders appreciate uh, angel investors these days. On, on my side of things, I actually have a very simple uh, few parameters. One is, is it a startup that I can... In the, Add value to, which is having seen marketplaces, having seen more consumer, is this something I can add value to? So if someone comes to me with a Web3 startup or a uh, more B2B type proposition, fintech, uh, very little I can do there. And uh, usually it's a quick, uh, sorry, I can't really be helpful. Right? Second parameter is around the, also people I know. Uh, a lot of angel investments are obviously early stages. And if nothing else, it's just really around a very simple heuristic, which is would I hire this person if I had a chance? And if that passes that bar, either because I have worked with them before or I got to know them and they're impressive, I choose that as a, a strong indicator. Uh, business model, etc. Yes, I look into it and so on. But predominantly, it's really around the, the founder and whether I can add value. Those are really the two simple things. Obviously, plus points around founders who actually have a business model that can go global or go beyond Singapore or beyond the region if possible. So that's, that's a plus point rather than a requirement. But those are basically it. The underlying thesis of it is just around back good founders, local founders in this part of the world uh, that can build great businesses. 
So which comes to the main subject of the day. I want to talk about rainforest. You have gone through being an operator of a high growth US startup, and then you went into a high growth Asian startup. And now you're helming to be the co-founder and CEO of this interesting startup called Rainforest. Maybe the first question I want to start off is, what is the inspiration behind Rainforest? Both at Airbnb and Carousel, I was privileged to be able to see work on the platform, which is to see sellers, buyers, homeowners, or like a host and uh, travelers connecting on the platform. One thing that was we we're always doing at any of these platforms, and when I talk to others of marketplace operators and startups as well, was around improving the quality levels of these sellers or service providers, hosts. So you will see your top quartile players doing very well in there. They're very professional, good photos. They know to use all the tools that you provide with them. And then you have this long tail of, you know, you know they could be good. They actually have a great villa in Bali. They actually have some good services they provide on Carousel or they're actually selling good products in there. But they're just not doing it professionally. So, you know, they don't have good photos. They don't uh, run it properly. They run on stock. They don't, in Airbnb, they don't update their calendar in time. And we're always investing to level them up to become top quartile performers on the platform, which was beneficial for them, beneficial for the platform. So when I saw the model, obviously pioneered by Trasher in the US, the idea of, sort of working with their exist e-commerce sellers, long-term e-commerce sellers that are not professionally run, was very real to me. I saw, saw this on, you know, having uh, done this on many other platforms. And the idea to sort of acquire them, also be very actively involved in uh, professionalizing them was so very obvious to me around the value creation opportunities in there. So jumped on opportunity. Initially, we were lens of looking at South Asia focus, but we we're actually looking at cross-border because we found uh, a lot more depth in that market. When I get a CEO on the show, the first thing I really want to ask is, what is the vision and mission of Rainforest? Yeah, it's evolved. I would say in the initial stages was, look, we, we take on these sort of uh, small SME businesses and take the brands to its full potential in there. The Over time, we realized that's quite broad, extremely broad, in fact. And the idea here for us is now to work with a more selected group of brands and cross-border sellers. And the eventual outcome is to actually build a house of brands for, for a specific audience. So again, a house of brands with too many things, it's also very hard to sort of operate and run effectively. So we've narrowed down into the target audience of the modern mom. And the idea is to assemble a set of brands in there, cater to the modern mom, making their life easier across the world. So, you know, end outcome is you think about the large brands like Pigeon, Tommy TP, they have tons of products for the modern mom in there. We are assembling the portfolio of brands that cater to them. So you're dedicating the brands towards serving the modern day mother and father who are dealing with maybe buying things for kids, you know, buying some very, very niche products as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, very much in the sort of maternity space, baby, zero to three, three to 12 year old uh, kids. So everything from play mats to nursing covers to uh, baby teeters. And those are the categories and products we are looking into. I think I should direct my wife to your site because we are shopping a lot from my Trio, Fio, and now Tadio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly the, exactly the target audience. And we need you to sort of send across some uh, interesting products and uh, recommended brands as well, just to get ideas around what are solving their current problems these days. I, I'm pretty curious. How did you assemble the initial team to bring the mission and vision to life, and how do their skill sets help in bringing the company together? The founding team was a bit of a purpose-built founding team, which is I have a decent recognition of what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. So everything that has to do with sort of deal structuring and uh, capital formation and so on, uh, I knew that it was one area that I needed help in to make this company work. 
the other area was really around like hands-on e-commerce skills, actually knowing which button to click, uh, level of details or what kind of policies they have on Amazon and what sort of the different ways to get ranking and so on. And then the last one was tech, right, which is uh, someone more of a hands-on tech co-founder as well. So managed to combine all this into two other co-founders. So Jason from Faith was the person that had finance and deal-making experience. He was CFO at Faith and Uvo. And then Perola, who was who still is an Amazon seller himself, right? A self-figure Amazon seller, but also was doing Amazon SaaS software, small uh, SME uh, or SaaS uh, boutique shop uh, for a couple of years. So got them on, brought the tech on board as well and got going. So congratulations on your recent 36 million round led by Nordstar. Together with Insignia Partners, I also know Monks Hill Ventures are also involved in this. Can you talk about the investors who have been part of your company's journey and how are they helpful in terms of building up this venture itself? Yeah, if you think about in, in investors, obviously one, one chunk of it is off, like you need a capital. So then, then the second question is beyond the capital, what else do we need from the investors? And uh, there's a few areas that are typically useful for these guys to, you know, the investors to fill. One is of signaling, which is good old fashioned. It's a brand. It gives everything from employees to other investors, uh, some comfort. They're like, okay, it's, it's a serious investor. It's vetted. And, uh, you know, employees look at it. Oh, okay. It's an insignia back or Monk's Hill back company. I will join, right? Like, uh, that, that's really one of the value. So we were looking for a sort of, you know, tier one uh, South Asian investor to sort of provide us that. So both insignia and Monk's Hill play that role around uh, providing us the brand piece, particularly for hiring in this region. Second one is really around the actual support that they give in here is of who are some of the senior hires that we should go to and hire and get on board. Insignia, for, for example, was actually helpful in actually connecting me with Jason in the early days uh, when we were sort of discussing and that's how we were put together. And then for the other piece that we need is really depth around the, the space itself. Here, we specifically went to look for investors who have invested in this space, who, know, who see this space globally. So Northstar and Crossbeam, who uh, came in our last round, are specialty investors in e-commerce and e-commerce aggregator space. So they know everything from what the debt terms you should see, what are they seeing in terms of what kind of categories are doing well, Amazon's of trends, and obviously not, nothing's of uh, non-public, but what other trends they're seeing in terms of other aggregators around the world uh, doing in that space. So it was filling these roles in there and then specifically looking for them to come in to fill that role uh, on our board, beyond capital. <laughs> so given that Rainforest adopts the Amazon-centric approach taken very similar like Threshold, Branded Group, Berlin Brands Group, which are pretty well-known and high-profile e-commerce aggregators. I think what I'm more interested to know is, can you talk about the market opportunity and broadly, what is the thinking process behind acquiring e-commerce direct-to-consumer brands in the region and then aggregate them to achieve economies of scale? Yeah, there is exactly that really, which is a solo operator of a business can only do a certain number of things with the brand, which is they can't, typically cannot expand internationally. They typically don't have expertise in pricing, in marketing, in product development. They're specialized enough to actually take the brand to the next level. And, and underlying this is one of the core issues that we see for these brand owners is that they're typically unable to sort of build an organization around the brand, which is they're unable to hire, get talent or retain talent to take it to the next level. Right? So the raw product and the sort of initial idea is strong, but unable to sort of fulfill it with the sort of talent that you need to take it to the next level. So that's where we come into play. We can actually hire people who are investing class in Facebook, TikTok, Google, PPC advertising or Amazon PPC advertising. 
people of product designers specialized in that space, people of supply chain uh, expertise, managing cross-border supply chain, and so on. So it's really around taking something that sort of, um, doesn't have enough resources or specialized skills and then putting on a platform where you know we have these skill sets to grow the brand. So a lot of the so-called synergies uh, in there are really on the growth side, mainly because we are growing from solo entrepreneurs. So these are not 100% teams that sort of like there's cost savings per se. It's mostly quite lean operations, but the opportunity is really around the growth side of things. And you actually have to bring uh, these uh, solo entrepreneurs who actually have sold a specific brand product in Amazon and then help them to professionalize and then scale them across the region itself. Yeah, so what we typically do is, depending on the on the deal structure, they either do a full exit, and for a rainforest, typically it's a full exit. As a solo entrepreneur, having a decent business, they're looking for exit. We give them anything from four to six times and trailing net profits of the business. They get an exit and they hand over the brand and operations to our internal team. Our internal team then runs it with the whole infrastructure in place across the whole value chain from sourcing, purchasing, supply chain, product development, marketing, and international expansion. So I think you have mentioned earlier that you are now dedicating most of Rainforest in terms of getting the right set of brands is totally catered for the modern day father and mother. Yeah. Are there specific categories of brands? What have you so far acquired and what are they like? Yeah, a very recent example is a toy storage uh, brand, right? Like, uh, so it's uh, a basis of the hero product is a uh, toy hammock, right? So it's a hammock that actually you put up and then it contains all your soft toys. Right? So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very first world problem. When I was growing up, we had one soft toy and that's all. But today, the average kid has a lot of soft toys and you have to put them all in this hammock. So it's nicely displayed. It's Amazon's bestseller in that category. And so that's an example of the brand. And then across that sort of toy hammock, we're launching, uh, also relaunching some of the products they had uh, before, which is a, a bean bag that you can actually store toys, soft toys again in. So when you're not using it, it's also a bean bag. And then a few other sort of storage solution for toys. So, so that's a very specific one. Uh, you know, parents will buy it and it's for typically for the sort of like three to 12 year old uh, uh, child. So that, that's an example of the brand. Yeah. Do you shop first before and test before you go to the entrepreneur and say, I'm interested in acquiring your brand? <laughs> No, I wish it was the case because like I always come across some super interesting products and uh, I would typically try to reach out to the owner and say like, hey, are you, you know, tell me a bit about your brand and so on. Right? You know, in most cases, they're not ready to sell, right? Like, so just, just a hello kind of situation. So in this case, it was actually someone's already willing to sell and then we, we saw the brand and then we tested the product. I think well, it was the other way around. But I do, I do, I would say it's a bit of a job hazard now. Like I, when I go around on shops or I buy stuff, I'm like, actually, is this a local brand? or this brand owner in this part of the world it looks super interesting could this could this be something that we could take up or, or launch as a product ourselves I'm definitely going to get the link for that thing about the hammer with the stuffed toys because my two daughters <laughs> have a lot of stuffed toys now on that yeah I know it's a real real issue <laughs> so prior to this conversation we discussed a very interesting piece of research that was done by Shift Couple on Amazon aggregators and it's a breakdown research from the Business Breakdowns podcast and for Listeners, I think you probably would heard of Invest Like the Best with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. So yeah. uh, that's a podcast that I think JJ and I both listen to quite a lot to learn things about businesses across uh, different landscapes. One data point that I got out of it was that Amazon third-party aggregators raise about $10 billion in capital to date and that there is at least 80 active companies worldwide doing this. My first thought would be, what would be the value proposition 
for rainforest to acquire these third-party sellers. I, I, I think what I'm getting to is actually in this big landscape, I'm sure there are so many brands you everyone can go and acquire, but what's your value proposition towards a seller from that point of view? Yeah, that's something that we've been asking ourselves quite a bit, right? When we first started, we were very much geographical-centric, which is there were not many aggregators in Asia-Pacific. As far as we know, we're the first ones to do cross-border Amazon brands and acquiring them this part. Also, if you are a owner of this brand selling to the US, uh, selling to Amazon, you don't have many exit choices, right? So that was the, the first focus, which is geography. We were the first ones to do it. Obviously, at the point, there were US players, European players, Latin players even. So the breakdown of the, the landscapes of geography of uh, acquisitions, geography of where the consumers are, size of acquisitions and platforms. Platforms, again, a lot of players in the Amazon space simply because it's so deep and there's a lot of good parameters around it that sort of makes it easy to acquire uh, and uh, due diligence on. So over time, we realized, yes, it was good to get started on the geographical basis. Fortunately, unfortunately, capital is uh, borderless. So we started seeing some global players also acquiring in, in this part of the world. And that's where we decided to focus on a specific target audience. And we can buy any kind of Amazon brand and any of the Amazon aggregators say that like, you know, we have this checklist, we have all the levers to improve you on Amazon. But we saw that as commoditized, which is all of us have the same levers. We all know how to run the same things. What actually distinguishes a brand in the long run and we came back to the core principle which is you need to know the consumer really well and you need to sort of develop products even if it's incrementally over a long run better products for them over and over again and to do that you need to be specialized within a certain segment you can't be great at so many different domains and that's where we believe over the long run it will be uh, even now already sort of uh, have some advantage which is if your brand sells to moms, parents, you can sell your brand to any Amazon aggregator. We're also one of them and we would do well on Amazon. Or you can sell one that's actually specialized into this area, which will also not just have Amazon capabilities, but also offline distribution to mother works, uh, mother care type relationships across the world, product development capabilities, focus groups around moms, and all the mommy TikTokers, bloggers, what have you, to self-promote your product. So the decision point for the seller is sort of like, do I sell to someone who's great on a platform or do I sell someone who's great in against the target audience that I sell to, and which one will sort of give me more upside in the long run? Because one, one component of what they receive is a burnout component, which is we profit share after a certain uh, threshold. So threshold, I know they use this 503-point checklist to evaluate every acquisition, which I think is yeah, yeah. pretty systematic. Probably they've done enough. So what is the playbook to become an e-commerce aggregator? Is it just basically, you know, go to shop as much as possible, find the brands, and then go to each one and then just talk to them and source them accordingly. Is, is that playbook? What is the playbook to actually become an e-commerce aggregator? Is it easy to stay in theory, but actually in practice, it's actually pretty difficult because you have to look at different parts of the supply chain. Yeah, yeah. I would say there's the two ways to look at it. The positive way is sort of like you're aggregating all these brands and you're sort of getting all this EBITDA at sort of low multiples. So um, they come good quality products. The, the sort of more difficult way to look at it is like whatever problems the, the last owner used to have, you're now taking on to your organization, right? So all the supply relationships, supply chain issues and so on, you need to sort of manage and work through that. But fundamentally, the core of the business, at least the way we see it is that we need to be great operators of these brands as a start. Like, in fact, the best the operators of these brands. And for us here, it's about looking into ways to be differentiated around how to 
run those brands better than anyone else and definitely better than the last owner. So that's where we see it. And for us, the, the end outcome, probably different from some of these other aggregators. There's, sort of, there's a set of aggregators, I believe, who are very Amazon and sort of platform focused. And Trusho's, I think, mission statement, if I'm not wrong, has not changed, which is to be the largest seller on Amazon. Uh, and that's by aggregating all these Amazon brands. doesn't matter what category it is. That's great. Very clear what they want to do. And then there's a bunch of aggregators of acquiring EBITDA. So they're just good at online sales. It doesn't matter what platform it is. They benefit a lot from this so-called financial arbitrage, which is acquiring a certain multiple when it's small, but when it's sort of large enough, you know, you get a certain multiple from the market. Again, probably a valid thing, but you need to sort of operate the brands and continue on the growth and the, and the margins and all that again. For us, the key thing for us is similar, which is we need to operate the brands, but we are much more selective about what brands we go for. Invest much more into what happens after acquisition, which is in the long run. The question we keep asking ourselves, in the long run, what does it take to actually build these brands or at least some of these brands into actual top of mind category challenges, right? Like you think of some of these brands in the same way that you think about Pigeon or any sort of mom brands out there uh, in there, right? Mm. I think you you kind of laid out a pretty interesting one for Rainforest, right? You say, okay, I'm just going to focus on this specific consumer type and I'm just going to build all my brands around serving this consumer types. How are other uh, e-commerce aggregators actually differentiate themselves? There are a few different plays. I think the sort of, obviously, Trust Show has to sort of be the biggest on Amazon. So very focused on Amazon. There is a geographical play, which is like, if you're in LATAM, we are the best exit opportunity for you. And we are great at expanding brands in LATAM or India for that matter. Like again, another set of uh, players in there. And obviously in this part of the world, there are you know, a few players in Indonesia already uh, uh, doing this. So a very strong uh, geographical play, which is like uh, LATAM for LATAM, Indo for Indo, India for India type play. We see also some doing the other way around, which is like, you know, we're great at taking your brands, acquiring your brands in India, but we are also using our capability to help you expand globally, expand to the Western markets. Another type of uh, sort of approach in there and value proposition in there. But fundamentally, it's sort of different levers, different sort of like big levers to sort of grow the brand. And geographically, it tends to be the, and, and channels tend to be the sort of the, the big differentiation piece there. One of the, similar to sort of VC space or any sort of fund space, the geographical one is the most natural split. So every aggregator has a geographical lens. And then there's a size split similar to sort of like a series seed investors, A, A, B, and growth investors. You know, so different size. And then there's a category. So you see some SaaS, SaaS VCs, uh, some sort of consumer VCs. And so I think long run, this is exactly where the, the aggregator space goes into as well. You start seeing much more specialization. And uh, a few maybe sort of generalists like, you know, playing across all, but like uh, most most aggregators need to sort of specialize in some form or another. Mm. As an ex-Amazonian, I'm so happy that everyone is focusing on Amazon, but unfortunately, we all live in Asia. And there are other <laughs> e-commerce platforms that are similar to Amazon. For example, Taobao or Tmall owned by the Alibaba Group in China. You have uh, Rakuten in Japan, Kobang in South Korea, and then in Singapore with your previous company, which is like Carousel, which is doing the marketplace. And then we talk about Shopee, you know, Lazada as such. This is a question that I think a lot is on everyone's mind. Does extending the brands under Rainforest help you to hedge the risk against Amazon? So maybe another potential competitive advantage is to help them to extend into these e-commerce platforms. Or the problem really is actually it's not possible to do this. How tough is actually to do an extension? I mean, just taking the focus on Amazon and then suddenly you want to focus on Tmall or Taobao is, is quite a, a lot of yeah, effort by yeah. itself, right? So how do you think about 
these extensions? So we are very deliberate about trying not to sort of uh, take too much of a scope at one time. So our, our focus has been being very good at Amazon in the initial phases. And this is Amazon in the sort of uh, Europe and US as a core uh, markets in there. Second part of it is then as we sort of be f- much more focused on this, uh, this parent or mom uh, target audience, also keeping a focus on the Western mom. And in that, there's sort of, okay, what's the next channels? Where are they also shopping? Obviously, Shopify sites are one of the areas. So we build out our Shopify capabilities. We're looking into Walmart. We're looking into uh, Wayfair, for example. So it's much more channels that are sort of for that target audience in the Western world. Now, the parent in Asia, like, you know, and also new platforms, I think we are, uh, we'll get there at some point, but we are expanding our sort of scope step by step rather than trying to do new geographies and new platforms and potentially a different type of mom and buyer as well. So trying to do too many uh, disparate things at one time makes it really hard to, to build out a focused team in there. So, so the way I understand it is actually focus on building the brands in one channel get it right and then if there yeah and geography and then if that allows you to extend you extend into another channel correct so it makes more sense for us to go from amazon to wayfair and walmart and uh, shopify in the us then to sort of suddenly go from amazon and suddenly shift 180 degrees to shopee lazada here which is a completely new environment completely new different skill sets uh, that you need to, to do that some things obviously similar but the market and target audience that we're going for is really huge already and uh, we should focus on a few things at one go. Mm. I think there's also this naive view from people looking at the space and say, well, since you own a plethora of brands, you can cross out or upsell your brands. Is that assertion true or are there really synergies or you just have to build one brand at a time? I think the synergies part come into play on two things, right? One, if we saw, first of all, the similar audience, which is, are they the same person, right? Someone buying a shaver and someone buying a sort of the, the toy hanger thing, like a toy organizer, it would be different people. So I think there's a, there is a piece of work around trying to sort of make sure, first of all, is it the same audiences? And then after the practical things around, like actually doing a cross-sell and so on, I would say take some time. It's not straightforward. If you're selling through a platform, you get very limited access to the end consumer. So there is some work to sort of like actually sort of aggregate email lists, cookies on your sort of Shopify site so that you can cross-target them. Or even at some point, like building a, a single site for, for all your products to sit on, right? such that like the mom can actually shop across all your brands at the same time. But it takes a bit of more of a portfolio to, for that to happen. And the initial phases are very much focused on growing the brands alone first before sort of having enough to do the whole customer of brand X and brand Y like cross to each other. I would say that happens, but at later stages and what it mm. is now. I, I noticed this when I was in AWS selling recommendation engines to a multi-brand conglomerate. Mm. In fact, cross-selling is not so obvious when you actually look into their data and try to help them to even yeah. prepare the solution. So I can understand that point that you were making on that. Pretty much since the last two years been lockdowns and how has the COVID-19 pandemic's supply chain impact actually affects your business or maybe it it amplified your business better? It cuts both ways. I would say on, on one side of things, we have to handle delays, stuff stuck at the ports, stuff on both sides, right? Some stuff outside the port getting into LA, some stuff at the port before it gets on the ship in Ningbo and increasing costs. So that is an area that we, we have to manage and work through. The plus side for this is that like because of all these disruptions, the solo entrepreneur or the uh, brand owner typically faces the same issues and typically you know decides that like okay, this is way too complex for me, too much disruption and uh, you know too much risk in here. I'm out and I'm exiting my brand. So plus and minuses, we have to manage more issues on this side. like the, the plus points is that there are many more sellers of saying that like you know what, 
let this be run by a soft professional outfit that can supply chain experts to, to manage these issues. I'm going on to soft start something else uh, fresh. So what are the risks of the business? I think there are different types of risks. One risk was that there might be coordination friction where you want to coordinate the integration of disparate collection of brands, which I don't think it happens in your case because you're focused on a certain category and certain type of customer. How would you deal with the risk that's involved with being e-commerce aggregator? I think one of the core risks is really around the platform risk, right? Like I would say, and, and the platform risk in either side. So you buy a Shopify brand, you have a platform risk that's not Shopify, but it's actually uh, Facebook or Google, which is if Facebook or Google says you cannot sell or cannot use these kind of keywords anymore because your health and beauty brand violates some terms, you are at risk because you can't, you can't buy traffic anymore and uh, you're stuck. Or your platform risk around the fact that the CPMs are going up and you have to continuously like keep paying more and more, eating into your margins in there. And then there's Amazon type risk, which is, yes, you we might buy brands that are sort of ranking very high and therefore even if you don't pay for PPC marketing, it continues to sell well. But there is a broad risk around the fact that like Amazon might change their algorithm, you know, tweak things around, launch their own brands into those categories and so on. And that is, I would say, a risk. So the platform risk, I would say, happens and uh, that is something that like aggregators are work with at this point in time. Until you are able to build a true brand, meaning like people actually remember they're like, oh, actually that toy storage brand was Lily's Love. I'm going to find a Lily's Love toy storage hammock, right? Like, uh, but most of the aggregators are buying uh, brands that are, they don't have that kind of uh, brand recall yet. So the job for at least I see the way I see for aggregators is to take some of these brands to become that kind of recall brands uh, in there uh, as a job to be done uh, over time. I would say that that's probably the biggest risk. I mean, there, there are some, some more near-term types of risk, which is around selection of brands. So uh, one of the biggest things we've been battling with uh, is that like when we look at a brand, do their last 12 months numbers look really good because of COVID or is it just because it's a good brand? And we've seen everything from board games, right? We saw a board games company growing at three times year on year, like amazing growth, very profitable. In that time, not just expanding in volume, but also this lady had increased prices, right? So it was very strong growth. But we look at it like, okay, how much of this COVID and how much do we adjust up when we do the valuation and like really continue, right? So that's also been one of the sort of trickier pieces to evaluate, which is how much of this is a one-off, right? And how much of it will persist, especially when we are paying multiples of past, right? Like, so will, will this continue or is it just a one-off? So that's one of the things that like we are very cautious about and we try to get a sense around like how much to adjust for COVID if we need to and so on. So what are the current trends that you're seeing in the e-commerce aggregator space? Last year was a bumper year for, for this uh, space, right? Tons of uh, startups being funded in this space. I think that the latest trends are really around, I would say, starting to see a bit more specialization. So you start seeing in any sort of new players uh, being funded on the back of more niche kind of areas and uh, specialization in there. Beyond that, not too much more. I think that you're starting to see also a lot of non-Amazon plays. In the US, you see people doing Shopify rollups as well, open store, for example. So there are sort of different takes on this uh, space. And then I would say even non-e-commerce, non right? Also e-commerce in a different way. I think in India, you see uh, restaurant brands being aggregated. So you sell some, you know, Bernard Pratas, right? And then you're selling well on a, as a dark kitchen. Someone will buy a Bernard Prata brands and do it. So something we see this expand into slightly different spaces as well, uh, into other, other verticals. Yeah. yeah, I can think of aggregators building on top of DoorDash, like a Cloud Kitchen. In that sense, if you think of Cloud Kitchen, it's almost like an e-commerce brand to roll up into the aggregators. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what's happening in some some areas. And in India, there is a player doing that already. Mm. Uh, so what, what is expected? to change going forward in the space itself? 
do you going to foresee a lot of these aggregators might consolidate or do you see it's still so young that different specializations will start to happen like just what you talk about like the india situation yeah, I think consolidation, I think, will happen. I haven't seen so much of it, although Trusho did buy a buy a company in, in India to enter India. But in, in general, fully expect like some amount of uh, consolidation over time, which is uh, larger aggregators buying s- subscale or smaller aggregators, uh, especially if there's something distinctive and some advantage in there for the larger aggregators. Expect to also see much more specialization over time, which is, you know, it's different... Not everyone can be just the generalist Amazon aggregators. There's a space for a few of this, but not too many more uh, of them. So specialization by category or by geography and so on, I think mix uh, will be likely uh, what will happen. And I think the the one thing that the industry is looking at is really around like how the public market reacts to sort of a generalist aggregator versus a, a specialist ones and so on. Right? Specialist ones actually to some extent is, is proven. You look out there, there's all many house of brands out there that caters to, you know, whatever, pet products or like uh, certain electronics. So there, there are sort of like e-commerce house of brands out there already existing. So you can sort of see public market valuations. Right? But platform players, like specifically just many categories and just very good at e-commerce and platforms, I think uh, people are still trying to sort of see what happens uh, in terms of what, how public markets price these uh, assets over the long run. Mm. I thought this closing question would be interesting to you. What does great look like for rainforest in the next few years? Oh yeah, so essentially we should have all the products for for the modern parent or mom in there. Everything from the time you are pregnant to you know zero to three year old, three to twelve year old, all the products that you need. And uh, a great metric would be sort of some say one in two moms in the US or like Western markets have one of our products in their home would be amazing, right? Like so that's that's uh, one way to sort of think about success. Wow! And I wish you all the best uh, with rainforest and. Definitely, we'll go and shop on some of your brands. We'll do, we'll do. We'll try to bring it to Asia. Yeah. JJ, in closing, I would definitely have two very quick questions. One is, any recommendations that have inspired you recently? You know, in, in the startup world, we tend to sort of like read a lot of stuff in the startup world. I, I've sort of gone back to sort of reading a large company type material, right? And recently, McKinsey just published a piece around CEO excellence. Actually, the book is not ready yet. So, I, you know, it was alumni webcast. I got on it. They sort of talked about it. Uh, the book comes out in March. But around like, what are the sort of like six mindsets for, for the CEO? That's been one of the things for me was uh, quite, quite interesting. And I'm looking forward to that book. Uh, again, it's for large corporations, but like I think you know, even in a startup world, you sort of can take a lot in uh, from that space. And how can my audience find you? And believe me, JJ has one of the best Twitter feeds. <laughs> I, I I flip between trying to sort of like uh, uh, be informative and uh, trying to do a shit post from time to time for the adrenaline uh, likes. Uh, yeah, you can find me on JJ Chai Twitter. and LinkedIn as well, right? <laughs> LinkedIn as well, yeah. Yeah, if anyone of you are interested in working with one of the most uh, interesting companies in Southeast Asia, you probably should uh, LinkedIn to JJ. Uh, JJ, many thanks for coming on the show. And for all the fans out there, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, you know, give us a five-star review everywhere you go. And of course, we can be found everywhere from Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and everywhere. JJ, once again, many thanks for coming on the show and I look forward to have Uh, chats with you over Twitter again on some interesting tech topics. Awesome. Thanks, Brennan. Thanks for having me.